If you like Area 45, you're going to enjoy the Hoover Institution's other podcasts, Uncommon Knowledge, The Classicist with Victor Davis Hanson, and The Libertarian with Richard Epstein. Subscribe now to the Hoover Podcast at hoover.org slash podcasts. That's hoover.org slash podcasts. Hoover Podcast, ideas defining a free society. Hello, this is Bill Whalen, the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Fellow in Journalism here at the Hoover Institution and the host of the Area 45 podcast. I'm taking some time off over the 4th of July weekend, and I hope you're doing the same as we celebrate America's independence. 244 years since that summer in Philadelphia, it's still going strong. On that note, we're going to re-air a podcast from two years ago at this time. It's a conversation I have with Tom Gilligan. He's the Tad and Diane Toby director of the Hoover Institution. It's a conversation we had about the individual economic and political freedoms that are quintessentially American and get to the heart of what the Hoover Institution is all about. Freedom is a fragile concept these days. In some corners of the world, people don't have the luxury of living in the same free society that you and I sometimes take for granted, where you're free to speak your mind and follow your dreams. Here in America, a pandemic has tested our commitment to individual freedom as government and citizens debate such basic rights as freedom to assemble, freedom to worship, and freedom to make a living and move about. The funny thing about the American experience, by no means are we a perfect society. There's serious work to be done to close our economic, educational, and social divides. But ask yourself, where else would you choose to live if not America? What other land provides the same opportunity? We'll get back to these questions as soon as I'm back from vacation. In the meantime, please have a listen to what Tom Gilligan has to say. And by all means, have a great 4th of July weekend. On behalf of my Hoover colleagues, stay safe, stay strong, and stay healthy. And we'll do our best here at the Hoover Institution to help you stay informed. I'll see you soon. God bless America. Hello, it's Tuesday, June the 26th, and welcome to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast examining the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States. I'm Bill Whalen, a Hoover Research Fellow, our guest today in Hoover's recording studio deep in the heart of Stanford University's campus in the shadow of the Hoover Tower is Thomas Gilligan. Since September of 2015, Tom Gilligan has served as the Tad and Diane Toby Director of the Hoover Institution, as well as a Hoover Senior Fellow. In a case of reverse migration, we convinced Tom Gilligan to move to California from the great state of Texas. Before becoming the Hoover Institution's Director, Tom was Dean of the McComb School of Business at the University of Texas at Austin. Tom, what brought you here? I'm guessing it's not the wonderful cheap real estate. <laughs> uh, it, it was the challenge of the job. I had been a National Fellow at the Hoover Institution in the late 80s, early 90s, and, and mm-hmm. worked here a couple years. Uh, and I really um, appreciate the mission and respected the mission of the Hoover Institution. So when the opportunity came for me to replace John Razian, mm-hmm. our great longtime director, uh, I jumped at it. It was a lot of fun, and uh, I, I've really enjoyed it since then. The watching and facilitating the work of the fellows and the staff that try to transmit the great research that's done here uh, has been special. It's been a special opportunity for me, and I've really enjoyed it. What has been the biggest adjustment to coming to Northern California? <laughs> so... Uh, Biggest adjustment coming to Northern California. You know, I lived in Southern California for 25 years. I lived in L.A., worked mm-hmm. at USC for a long time. So uh, I really like California a lot. I love living here. It's a great place to be. Uh, I do spend a little bit more time on t- a little bit more time and resources on taxes here than I did in Texas. Uh, and we miss some of our friends in Texas as well. But all in all, I've really enjoyed my time here. It's funny. If you follow the NBA right now, there's a competition of sorts for LeBron James. Yeah, yeah. And there's several ways to court LeBron James. One is obviously rings. He wants to win right. Championships. The Houston Rockets are probably his best chance to win a championship. The second way to go after LeBron is to try to appeal to his entrepreneurial side. He wants right. to be another Magic Johnson, so Los Angeles is the best right. venue. But then some teams push back on the tax front. Not right. that LeBron doesn't necessarily need a tax break. He's worth right. God knows how many hundreds of millions of dollars. But again, this puts Texas in the bullseye because nobody <laughs> can beat Texas when it comes to when taxes as far 
as athletes. No, it's pretty good. The uh, income tax has is about at the right rate, and uh, you know you can put your money to work right down there. I think he'd like either place though. L.A. or Houston would be great for him. Right. So this July 4th is the 242nd anniversary of the founding of this republic. For a lot of people, a day off from work, mm -hmm. try to spend with the family, picnics, fireworks where they're mm -hmm. allowed these days. But also it's a time for reflection, mm -hmm. Tom. And it's a time to reflect on one thing, which is freedom. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read you a couple of quotes from some famous people, and I want you to reflect on what freedom means to you in this country. First, let's start with Thomas Jefferson, the fellow mm -hmm. who wrote the paper that got this started. Jefferson said, quote, the cost of freedom is eternal vigilance. Mm -hmm. Let's now shift to Ronald Reagan, with whom a lot of fellows in this institution have had a relationship, personal working. Ronald Reagan said, quote, freedom is one of the deepest and noblest aspirations of the human spirit. Mm -hmm. And now let's talk about someone who cast a very long shadow over this institution, that is the late, great Milton Friedman. Mm -hmm. And it was Dr. Friedman who said, quote, a society that puts equality before freedom will get neither. Mm -hmm. A society that puts freedom before equality will get a high degree of both. Mm -hmm. No, weigh in. Yeah, no, I agree with those things. Uh, you know, I started my adult life as a uh, serviceman in the Air Force. I was a Russian linguist, and this was a time in the 70s when the Cold War was going strong. And there were two pretty evident contrasts with America and the freedom it offered, China and Russia, Soviet Union at the time. Mm -hmm. Neither placed freedom very high up on its list of priorities. And it was evident to me, studying it as an airman and looking at it across the world, that, that the advantages of freedom were paramount, evident, and uh, and worth fighting for, uh, and I think the statements you you read reflect that. I think you 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 really have to prioritize freedom um, to get anywhere as a society. I think the second thing, what Jefferson said, is exactly right too. Uh, freedom isn't a naturally occurring state. It's something that has to be worked for all the time. I, our our current Secretary of Defense, Jim Mattis, says this all the time, and. We all know him from his time here as a Hoover Fellow. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it really is something that you have to protect and nurture and guard against uh, erosion of all the time. And I, I think it's really, uh, if it's not up there with the, with the one or two great values any society should have, um, your society's not going to last very long. It seems to me that this society right now is um, ignoring or overlooking it's mm -hmm. freedom that's allowed. Right. We've had a very crazy month right. in this country of a lot of uncivil things, just a lot yeah, of yeah. bad speech, a lot of hateful actions. And amidst all this, Tom, is the concept of freedom. Yeah. This country allows you incredible freedoms, right. freedom to say whatever you want to, freedom to do some very silly things, such as yeah. heckling people in restaurants and right. chaining outside of their homes, freedom to keep, keep people out of a restaurant if you want to, sure. and the freedom to call the cops to call the restaurant if you want to. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a, it's a paradox, isn't it? Yes. Right. I mean, uh, with freedom comes responsibility as well. And uh, I think you you know you should you should always insist upon exercising the freedoms that you have uh, up into uh, and including the point, but not including the point where you abridge other people's freedom. So uh, shouting people out of a restaurant that you would like to enjoy probably is taking your freedoms too far. Uh, you know. Uh, Keeping people from assembling, assembling peacefully to protest is is going too far. I mean, you know, the paradox of modern America is that um, many people extend their freedoms much too far, and particularly uh, as they impede other people. I mean, w w the, our country's never been freer. If you think about it, think about the civil rights movement of the '60s and mm -hmm. uh, all the other equality movements, the gay rights movement, everything. People have uh, freedom to really conduct the lives the way they want to. And I, that is an un unqualified good thing. Uh, but I think we've kind of crossed a line and uh, into disrespect and into not worrying about um, 
ensuring that our other that our fellow citizens enjoy the same freedoms that we like to enjoy as well. And that, that I think, by the way, I'm not calling for any kind of governmental action to correct that. Right. I think that's a that's a civic culture issue. Uh, I think the way to deal with it is just stand up to it, stand up against it, uh, speak out against uh, boorish behavior that mm -hmm. infringes upon people's freedoms, right. uh, and, to, and try to talk through it. Mm -hmm. uh, just try to apply the golden rule to freedoms uh, right. the way that we can, but not a big fan of uh, writing new laws <laughs> to fix this no, problem. No, I agree with you. I think the yeah. beauty of our society is through both freedom of speech yeah. and freedom of press, the yeah. freedom of the media, we have vessels in which we can have this conversation. The challenge of the society, Tom, is whether or not we can have an adult conversation right. right now about right. these basic rights. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really confident right now we can have adult conversations about much. Uh, right. We really we really are polarized, particularly at the elite level, mm -hmm. you know, and David and, and Mo have talked about that a lot on your, on your podcast. Uh, but again, I'm not for any legislative solutions. I'm just for trying to, to wait it out and talk through it and work through it. And, uh, you know, we've all come from families where we had uncomfortable dinners, uh, where we end up mostly hollering at each other. Right. And the point is uh, not to not to worry about it, just to show up to dinner the next night, you know, and see if the conversation can be more productive and the next night and the next night. I mean, uh, we owe it to each other as citizens to engage with one another, even when we disagree vehemently about things. Right, right. Let's talk about freedom through the lens of the Hoover Institution, Tom. Mm -hmm. And Hoover likes to put freedom into three channels. Mm -hmm. One is individual freedom, the second is economic freedom, mm -hmm. and the third is political freedom. Mm -hmm. Explain a bit what individual freedom means. Well, uh, so, you know, li liberty, the, if you go, go to the, um, what the mission of the Hoover Institution is, right, we started as a, um, a library um, that was set up by then-citizen Herbert Hoover in order to gather papers that spoke to... Right, uh, this is the summer of 1919, yeah, and Hoover right. is in Paris attending the Peace Conference. Right. Hoover is a... As a bipartisan, people think of Hoover as a Republican, yeah. but Hoover actually in 1920 uh, called himself a progressive. He was, he, and, and right. yeah, even even when we, he was the Secretary of Commerce or President, he did right. many many things that would be considered to be. Progressive but he was in now. Wilson's War Cabinet, and he That's was right. advising Wilson. So he's in Paris in 1919 as right. Versailles is going on, and he is taking an interest now in collecting material on the war. That's right, and he's very very much concerned about what were the causes of war, what are the predicates of peace, right. and how do societies, free societies, govern themselves in ways to avoid conflict. Uh, that remains a focus of the Hoover Institution now. We have a fabulous uh, librarian and archivist, Eric Waken, that continues to gather papers right. from conflict regions around the country. We continue to, to host thousands of researchers here every year in order to write books and uncover knowledge about the causes of war, uh, and it's a big focus for us. And I think uh, part of what freedom uh, is about is uh, just avoiding the scourge of war, you know, allowing people to flourish and grow and to prosper in, in peace uh, to let their freedoms uh, take take flight. That's that's a big part of it. That's that is I think is a core issue involved with freedom. Okay, to find economic freedom. Well, I think you know that comes later uh, after after President Hoover had stepped down from the presidency. America went through this very deep and complex debate about what the role of the government would be right. for assuring economic prosperity or at least security. You know, and through the New Deal, we had. Social Security and various kinds of uh, governmental programs designed to uh, address economic needs throughout the country. Uh, President, ex-President Hoover at that point in time, I think, pushed back against that and was worried that uh, that broad level of economic security guaranteed by the government would necessarily infringe upon the freedom mm -hmm. of people to explore their economic opportunities and options to start new businesses, to grow, uh, and those kind of things. He was, he was concerned about the tax 
burden necessary to carry a very large central government that guaranteed economic prosperity or economic security. I think he was also worried and, and anticipated a lot of the concern that we have now about regulation in the administrative state. I mean, laws and regulations that would limit people's economic freedom and prosperity. Mm -hmm. This is where Friedman, you know, is a great voice on this. He was right. he was quick to recognize that uh, you don't have many freedoms at all if you don't have economic freedoms. Uh, and uh, we agree with that a lot. The mission of the Hoover Institution was changed in 1959, not changed, augmented in 1959, uh, to have us work on public policy research that highlighted the value of free enterprise. Mm -hmm. And in so doing, the value of limited and constitutional government, government that didn't intrude too much in economic decisions, government that followed the rules as right. opposed to be, being arbitrary and capricious. So that's a very big uh, stool of the research uh, that we do at the uh, Hoover Institution. I'm hard-pressed to think of a more talented bench of economists in this country than the people in these three buildings yeah. in this institution. Mm -hmm. Very strong. You know, you mentioned Milton Friedman mm -hmm. and, and Gary Becker and George Stigler and all those fellows were here. They've all passed away, but right. they, let a, they left a great legacy. John Taylor here now, who is the uh, clarion song of, of kind of, um, you know, uh, serious money, solid money in the economy, monetary policy that doesn't erode the store of value, monetary policy that's predictable and allows people to make the kind of investment decisions they need. Uh, Eddie Lazier and Michael Boskin, uh, former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors under both President Bush's uh, very strong ec policy economist, a young staple of economists that includes uh, John Cochran is here as well. And the people you talked about earlier that worked with President Reagan, his right. administration, John Kogan, uh, has a stunning new book on the, on the history of entitlements in this country. We, we just, it, it is what you said. It, it's just a stunning group of economic policy commentators and researchers that have a many, many, many good ideas on how we can improve econ economic policy going forward. You have a son at Stanford, correct? I do. He's uh, going to be a junior. Okay. Have you directed him toward John Taylor? Uh he he took Econ one took already. Econ one. Didn't have John Taylor. He to be honest, uh, he's he's not that interested in social science. He's an engineering <laughs> student. Uh, he wants to be an entrepreneur, so he cares a lot about freedom of action, right. and he he's uh, very much the kind of libertarians that I think Stanford engineers are these mm -hmm. days. Uh, but intellectually, he he doesn't find. Um, Economics as interesting as electrical engineering at this point in time. I can't explain it. <laughs> okay, he could be your retirement plan, though. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> got a nice startup, got a place, a nice garage in the back for dad. Yeah. All right. Then category three, Tom, political freedom. Yeah, so uh, we have a great group of political scientists and people here who, wor who worry about, I, I call it not political freedom, I put it in liberty and democratic governance. Uh, so there's an issue here having to do with a couple things, and that is, uh, one, what political systems are best at preserving uh, the kind of liberty, liberty that is associated with human flourishment and well-being? Mm -hmm. Another issue that I think is trickier for the times is that what role should America play in promoting or uh, encouraging uh, the dissemination or diffusion of democratic processes around the world? Uh, and there, that's a complex issue because it has a lot to do with whether various cultures are amenable mm -hmm. to the use of democratic processes and the kind of uh, what we think are self-governing mechanisms that are essential uh, for human flourishment. And I, so, you know, we have some great people there. We, we have people who have been architects of that process in the post-World War II period, George Schultz, Condoleezza Rice, Steve Krasner, people who thought very deeply about what kind of political liberties and freedoms uh, can be fostered by 
applying certain democratic processes around the world. And we have some great uh, American political scientists, Mo Fiorina, David Brady, mm -hmm. Doug Rivers, people who study all the time what kind of mechanisms are best at allowing right. people's differences to be settled, aggregated and settled in, in a peaceful democratic yeah, we have a few fellows who've been in the mix, besides obviously Secretary Rice, Secretary Schultz, yeah. uh, Larry Diamond, who yeah. was involved in the rebuild of Iraq after the Iraq invasion. Of course, That's Michael McFall, our That's senior right. fellow, who is a Barack Obama's ambassador to Moscow. That's so right. a lot of people with hands-on experience. Yeah, there's a lot of great intellectual and academic horsepower here, but there's a lot of great hands-on experience as yes, well. That's yeah. good. Tom, I want to read you a passage from the good book, not the yeah. Bible, but <laughs> Herbert Hoover, right. American Individualism. Right forward by George Nash. Uh, to those listening, I strongly recommend you get this book. It is pocket size. First of all, it's perfect to take on an airplane and read up on. This explains Herbert Hoover's philosophy. Yeah. And I want to read you a passage, Tom, yeah. and get your thoughts on this. Here's what Hoover writes. He's talking about what is, in, what is in his words, American individualism. He writes, and I quote, our individualism differs from all others because it embraces these great ideals, that while we build our society upon the attainment of the individual, we shall safeguard to every individual an equality of opportunity to take that position in the community to which his intelligence, character, ability, and ambition entitle him. Mm -hmm that we keep the social solution free from frozen strata of classes, that we shall stimulate effort of each individual to achievement, that through an enlarging sense of responsibility understanding, we shall assist him to this attainment, while he in turn must stand up to the emery wheel of competition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Herbert Hoover passed away in 1964. He did not live to see what's going on in America today. Based on those words, what would Hoover, what would Herbert Hoover make sense of what's going on? Well, you know, he, he I think he would obviously be distressed at the move away from meritocracy that we see in a lot of um, right. situations in America, admissions to college, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, identity, the growth of identity politics around the country, right. those kinds of things. Um, I still, though, think that he would recognize a lot. Uh, that he likes in America. I think America is still just a place laden with opportunity for many, many people, which is why people want to jump the wall to get here. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just there are reasons why people try to get here. Uh, and um, while he be uh, while he I think would find fault with some of the things we do, I think he'd find great comfort and satisfaction with the way America works, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. So next summer is the 100th anniversary of the Hoover Institution, right. mentioning the collecting of the archives in Paris, which sort of begins the building of the yeah. library, which I don't know if there's a formal date for the institution or not, but that summertime is really kind of one time a line to look Yeah, there's at. a letter that was sent uh, by Herbert Hoover to the to the president of Stanford University in July of that year, and that's considered to be right. the birth, birthday of the Hoover Institution. So how do you plan to celebrate it? Well, we're going to have a year-long celebration of uh, just lifting up our values uh, mm -hmm. to as many people as we possibly can. Uh, we'll have a set of uh, events and uh, celebrations. Uh, we'll have a, a bit of a recasting of the strategic plan of the Hoover Institution, which is designed to answer the question, what do we want to be in the second century? What do we want to aspire for? What do we want to do? And, and of course, what we really want to do is... Uh, apply the values of the Hoover Institution to do research that we think informs public policy. Uh, we care very much about free enterprise. We care about liberty and democratic governance. We care about limited constitutional government. Uh, we want to do research that supports that and propagate that not only to policymakers in Washington and in the states, but also to people uh, in uh, to the public that wants to be informed about these issues. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know and have participated in some of our new outreach on the internet, uh, policyed.org programs, uh, some of the work we're doing on the internet. 
Uh, you've also participated in the work we do in our Washington, D.C. office, which is designed more to educate policymakers on some of these great ideas. Right. But the occasion of our uh, centennial celebration, uh, it just affords us the opportunity to remind everybody what our values are, how durable they are, and how they can uh, take flight in current po policy debates. It's also a time, Tom, to reflect on what exactly a think tank is in the business yeah. of doing. And the New York Times right. had a very long article on this the other day, uh, the focus being the Heritage Foundation, yeah. the storied think tank on Capitol Hill, not too far from Congress, mm -hmm. uh, which has been very involved in politics, well, really since about the time of Ronald yeah. Reagan. Um, and the thrust of the article, Tom, was that Heritage has been very active in terms of funneling people into the Trump administration. Right. At the same time, though, it faces fundamental questions as to what a director of a think tank does, what the business of a think tank does. And the article, Tom, also mentions an enormous proliferation of think tanks in this country. Yeah, yeah. So define a think tank to me. Tell me what how you define a think tank. Yeah, you know, I mean, generally a think tank is, uh, is, a, is a group of people who, who try to take some principles and values and highlight their importance for contemporary policy debate right. and choices. Uh, in 1945, there were about 50 of these in the country. Mm -hmm. Today, there are about 2,000 of these. Good heavens. Uh, and um, so there, there has been a proliferation. It turns out, though, that the proliferation of think tanks has mostly been associated with partisan politics mm -hmm. and with advocacy of a particular kind. So you might right. take an industry trade group that wants to achieve a particular regulation. They'll start a think tank to support that. I think uh, the Hoover Institution is, is different from that. The Hoover Institution has a set of values uh, and principles that are timeless, and I mentioned those before, free enterprise, limited constitutional government, uh, uh, democratic governance, and we advocate for the application of those principles throughout all throughout the policy realms of national defense, economic policy, and, and regulation and democratic governance. Um, we Sometimes we find ourselves in agreement with, with Republican politicians. Sometimes we find ourselves in agreement with Democratic politicians. Right. So I guess uh, if I were to contrast Hoover maybe with other think tanks, is that uh, is that to be honest, we're a center-right think tank, and more often than not, that's where I, our ideas fall. But whether they fall there or not, it depends on whether or not a particular fellow thinks the principles of the Hoover Institution have resonance for a particular party or not. We're not aligned with a particular party. We're not, we don't think of ourselves as partisan. We think of ourselves as nonpartisan. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a distinguishing feature for us. These are uh, difficult times. I mean, I think there's a bit of a political realignment going on. President right. Trump embodies a particular set of values and ideas that I think are unique for, for an American president. Mm -hmm. uh, and a, a lot of the Hoover fellows support much of what he does. A lot of the Hoover fellows don't support much of what he does. And that's where we find ourselves uh, in this point in time. Interesting. How do you define success for the Hoover Institution, Tom? Some think tanks define it as terms of getting ideas into legislation yeah. and practice. Yeah. Some, frankly, define it as just getting a name in the paper or a face yeah. on TV. Yeah, you know, we measure those things, to be, uh, but to be honest with you, I don't think the fellows uh, and I care that much about a particular piece of legislation or a particular name on a TV or in a newspaper. We care that the ideas, the broad ideas that the Hoover Institution hopes to reflect find their way through our research into into public policy. Mm -hmm. uh, is economic regulation, does it tend to promote more freedom, more economic freedom than less? Uh, do our suggestions around liberty and democratic governance promote political freedom? Those are, those are the kind of things that we're talking about. Um, and what we're striving to do. We, we, we're, at, we're in Stanford. We're not in D.C. for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, our fellows do not tend to write white papers on legislation. You know, they tend to, to, to tackle broad issues right. like economic growth, uh, 
stability of the financial system, uh, the role of America in the world. Um, and I think it's the focus on this broader issues that give us a goal of wanting to have our values reflect in public policy, and less so than, than the metrics that you mentioned earlier. Now, we have to measure it. I mean, right. and you know, we're, we're supported by very generous overseers, and the overseers uh, always like to see a level of activity uh, that they think justifies their investment in us. So they're interested in these intermediate metrics. But like us, I think they're also interested in our fellows working on very broad, big ideas, mm -hmm. not very small or specific right. ideas. And Hoover's relationship with Stanford? Great relationship with Stanford. You know, we've been here. Uh, President Hoover was in the first graduating class at Stanford University. Mm -hmm. uh, it's unusual to have a think tank of this caliber on a university campus. Right. Uh, we've been here for a very long time. We've just opened a brand new building, the Traytail Building, to host our convening activities at the Hoover Institution. We have a new president, Mark Tessier-Living, uh, who is an entrepreneur and a scientist himself and very much involved in the translation of knowledge created at universities into society. And Hoover mm -hmm. is, does that with respect to public policy. We have a provost at Stanford, Percy Strell, whose father, Sidrell, was a Hoover Fellow for 35 years before he passed away last year. Uh, so a very good relationship. Uh, and I think we're also highly valued at Stanford because Hoover brings a diversity of political opinions that is, is absent on most campuses these days. Uh, so we're a great asset for the university, and we're happy to be here. And our position here in the northern neck of Silicon Valley, yeah. in California, close to the Pacific Rim, but also distance from Washington. Yeah. How does that separate Hoover from the crowd? Well, I think uh, I think what's going on in Silicon Valley is unique and special in the world. To be honest with mm -hmm. you, these are you know this is the hotbed for some of the most valued companies on the globe and on the planet. Right. Uh, and if you've read the paper recently about Google and Facebook, they're companies that are becoming uh, uh, they're coming under increasing scrutiny uh, from the government for. Um, around privacy concerns, around leverage concerns, those kinds of things. And I think it's a really interesting time for a Hoover Fellow to be thinking about how the history of regulation, the history of the expression of political freedom, and the importance of these companies can come together uh, to define the next 100 years in America. So uh, it's a propitious place uh, and time for the Hoover Institution. It's fun to be here. Good. How do you plan to celebrate the 4th? Well, so I will uh, be in Texas, in Austin, Texas, oh, with my going family. Oh, to Texas in yeah, July. Well, well, yeah, it has to be above 100 degrees for me to be comfortable celebrating. Uh, I was, I was it, in Charleston, South Carolina last week. Do you want to yeah. hazard what the heat index was? Oh, no. What, 120? 112. Yeah. Feels like 112. Yeah, it could get there. Probably the worst thing to put on a cell phone, by the way, to, to tell you the temperature, but also what it feels like. Exactly. And there'll probably be some fireworks involved and some beer involved and some barbecue involved, and that's uh, we'll have a lot of fun. You're allowed that. to have fireworks in Austin, Texas. In certain places, yeah. Particularly this, if there's a large body of water nearby. This is a California problem, Tom, in terms of both safety, in terms yeah. of everything being dry, but also a lot of municipalities don't have the money to put on fireworks, if Ooh. you can believe that. Yeah. So we tend to have very quiet Fourth of July's around here, except for random fireworks. Yeah, that's sad. <laughs> that's great. Well, Tom Gilligan, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, Bill. It was a fun, fun talk. You've been listening to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast on the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States, in this case, a 4th of July special edition. If you've been enjoying Area 45, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you wouldn't mind, please spread the word. Get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution is online at www.hoover.org. And while you're there, do yourself a favor and sign up for Hoover's Daily Report, which delivers the best work of Tom Gilligan and Hoover's fellowship to your inbox weekdays. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover 
Inst. That's at Hoover, I-N-S-T. I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Hoover Whalen. That's at Hoover, W-H-A-L-E-N. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with another installment of Area 45. Here's wishing you and yours a happy and safe 4th of July. Let freedom ring here in America and around the world. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution. For more podcasts and ideas from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org.